0: Section 52 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John K. Thomas. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 3. The Nostos, Episode 17. Ithaca. Part 1. What parallel courses did Bloom and Stephen follow returning? Starting united, both at normal walking pace from Beresford Place, they followed in the order named Lower and Middle Gardiner Streets and Mountjoy Square West. Then, at reduced pace, each bearing left, Gardener's Place by an inadvertence as the farther corner of Temple Street. Then, at reduced pace, with interruptions of halt bearing right, temple street north as far as Hardwick place approaching disparate at relaxed walking pace they crossed both the circus before george's church diametrically the chord in any circle being less than the arc which it subtends of what did the dumvirate deliberate during their itinerary music literature ireland dublin paris friendship woman prostitution diet the influence of gaslight or the light of arc and glow lamps on the growth of adjoining periheliotropic trees exposed corporation emergency dust buckets the roman catholic church ecclesiastical celibacy the irish nation jesuit education careers the Study of Medicine, The Past Day, The Maleficent Influence of the Presbyth, Stephen's Collapse. Did Bloom discover common factors of similarity between their respective like and unlike reactions to experience? Both were sensitive to artistic impressions, musical in preference to plastic or pictorial. Both preferred a continental to an insular manner of life, a cisatlantic to a transatlantic place of residence both indurated by early domestic training and an inherited tenacity of heterodox resistance professed their disbelief in many orthodox religious national social and ethical doctrines both admitted the alternately stimulating and uptunding influence of heterosexual magnetism were their views on some points divergent Stephen descended openly from Bloom's views on the importance of dietary and civic self-help, while Bloom dissented tacitly from Stephen's views on the eternal affirmation of the spirit of man and literature. Bloom assented covertly to Stephen's rectification of the anachronism involved in assigning the date of the conversion of the Irish nation to Christianity from Druidism by Patrick, son of Calpurnus, son of Potitus, son of Odysseus, sent by Pope Celestine I in the year 432 in the reign of Leary to the year 260, or thereabouts in the reign of Cormac Macart, died 266 AD, suffocated by imperfect deglutition of aliment at Sleti and interred at Rosnery. The collapse which Bloom ascribed to gastric inanition and certain chemical compounds of varying degrees of adulteration and alcoholic strength, accelerated by mental exertion and the velocity of rapid circular motion in a relaxing atmosphere, Stephen attributed to the reapparition of a matutinal cloud perceived by both from two different points of observation, Sandy Cove and Dublin at first no bigger than a woman's hand was there one point on which their views were equal and negative the influence of gaslight or electric light on the growth of adjoining paraheliotropic trees had bloom discussed similar subjects during nocturnal perambulations in the past in eighteen eighty four with owen goldberg and cecil turnbull at night on public thoroughfares between Longwood Avenue and Leonard's Corner and Leonard's Corner and Singe Street and Singe Street and Bloomfield Avenue. In 1885, with Percy Apjohn in the evenings, reclined against the wall between Gibraltar Villa and Bloomfield House in Crumlin, barony of Upper Cross. In 1886, occasionally with casual acquaintances and prospective purchasers on doorsteps, in front parlors, in third-class railway carriages of suburban lines. In 1888, frequently with Major Brian Tweedy and his daughter Miss Marion Tweedy, together and separately on the lounge in Matthew Dillon's house in Roundtown. Once in 1892, and once in 1893, with Julius, Judah, Mastiansky, on both occasions in the parlor of his, Bloom's, house on Lombard Street, West. What reflection concerning the irregular sequence of dates, 1884, 1885, 1886, 1888, 1892, 1893, 1904, did Bloom make before their arrival at their destination? He reflected, that the progressive extension of the field of individual development and experience was regressively accompanied by a restriction of the converse domain of inter-individual relations. As in what ways? From inexistence to existence he came to many and was, as one received, existence with existence, he was with any, as any with any, from existence to non-existence, gone he would be by all as none perceived. What act did Bloom make on their arrival at their destination? At the house steps of the fourth of the equidifferent uneven numbers, number 7 Eclos Street, he inserted his hand mechanically into the back pocket of his trousers to obtain his latch-key. Was it there? It was in the corresponding pocket of the trousers which he had worn on the day but one preceding. Why was he doubly irritated? Because he had forgotten, and because he remembered that he had reminded himself twice not to forget. What were then the alternatives before the premeditatedly, respectively, and inadvertently keyless couple? To enter or not to enter, to knock or not to knock. Bloom's decision? A stratagem. Resting his feet on the dwarf wall, he climbed over the area railings, compressed his hat on his head, grasped two points at the lower union of rails and stiles, lowered his body gradually by its length of five feet nine inches and a half to within two feet ten inches of the area pavement, and allowed his body to move freely in space by separating himself from the railings and crouching in preparation for the impact of the fall did he fall by his body's known weight of eleven stone and four pounds in avoirdupois measure as certified by the graduated machine for periodical self weighing in the premises of francis Frodman, pharmaceutical chemist of nineteen frederick street north at the last feast of the Ascension, to wit, the twelfth day of May of the bissextile year, 1,904 of the Christian era, Jewish era, 5,664, Mohammedan era, 1,322, golden number 5, Epact 13, solar cycle 9, dominical letter C.B. Roman in Diction 2, Julian period, 6617 m c m i v did he rise uninjured by concussion regaining new stable equilibrium he rose uninjured though concussed by the impact raised the latch of the area door by the exertion of force at its freely moving flange and leverage of the first kind applied at its fulcrum gained retarded access to the kitchen through the sub-adjacent scullery, ignited a lucifer match by friction, set free inflammable coal gas by turning on the ventcock, lit a high flame, which, by regulating, he reduced to quiescent candescence, and lit finally a portable candle. What discreet succession of images did Stephen meanwhile perceive? Reclined against the area railings, he perceived, through the transparent kitchen panes, a man regulating a gas flame of 14 CP, a man lighting a candle of 1 CP, a man removing, in turn, each of his two boots, a man leaving the kitchen holding a candle. Did the man reappear elsewhere? After a lapse of four minutes, the glimmer of his candle was discernible through the semi-transparent, semi-circular glass fanlight over the hall door the hall door turned gradually on its hinges in the open space of the doorway the man reappeared without his hat with his candle did stephen obey his sign yes entering softly he helped to close and change the door and followed softly along the hallway the man's back and listed feet and lighted candle past a lighted crevice of doorway on the left and carefully down, a turning staircase of more than five steps, into the kitchen of Bloom's house. What did Bloom do? He extinguished the candle by a sharp expiration of breath upon its flame, drew two spoon-seat deal chairs to the hearthstone, one for Stephen, with its back to the area window, the other for himself, when necessary, knelt on one knee, composed in the grate a pyre, of cross-laid resin tip sticks and various colored papers and irregular polygons and best abram coal at twenty-one shillings a ton from the yard of messrs flower and Macdonald of fourteen dolier street kindled it at three projecting points of paper with one ignited lucifer match thereby releasing the potential energy contained in the fuel by allowing its carbon and hydrogen elements to enter into free union with the oxygen of the air. Of what similar apparitions did Stephen think? Of others elsewhere, in other times, who, kneeling on one knee, or on two, had kindled fires for him. Of Brother Michael in the infirmary, of the College of the Society of Jesus at Clongoes Wood, Salins, in the county of Kildare. Of his father, Simon Dedalus, in an unfurnished room of his first residence in Dublin, number thirteen Fitzgibbon Street. Of his godmother, Miss Kate Morcan, in the house of her dying sister, Miss Julia Morcan, at fifteen Usher's Island. Of his aunt Sarah, wife of Richie, Richard Goulding, in the kitchen of their lodgings at sixty two Clan Brassel Street of his mother Mary, wife of Simon Dedalus, in the kitchen of No. 12, North Richmond Street, in the morning of the feast of St. Francis Xavier, 1898, of the Dean of Studies, Father Butt, in the Physics Theatre of University College, 16 Stevens Green, North, of his sister Dilly, Delia, in his father's house in Cabra, what did Stephen see on raising his gaze to the height of a yard from the fire towards the opposite wall? Under row of five coiled spring house bells a curvilinear rope stretched between two holdfasts athwart across the recess beside the chimney pier from which hung four small-sized square handkerchiefs folded unattached consecutively in adjacent rectangles and one pair of ladies' grey hose with lyle suspender tops and feet in their habitual position clamped by three erect wooden pegs two at their outer extremities and the third at their point of junction what did bloom see on the range on the right smaller hob a blue enameled saucepan on the left larger hob a black iron kettle What did Bloom do at the range? He removed the saucepan to the left hob, rose and carried the iron kettle to the sink in order to tap the current by turning the faucet to let it flow. Did it flow? Yes, from Roundwood Reservoir in County Wicklow of a cubic capacity of 2,400 million gallons percolating through a subterranean aqueduct of filter mains of single and double pipage constructed at initial plant, cost of five pounds per linear yard, by way of the Dargle Rathdown, Glen of the Downs and Callow Hill, to the 26-acre reservoir at Still Oregon, a distance of 22 statute miles, and thence, through a system of relieving tanks, by a gradient of 250 feet, to the city boundary at Eustace Bridge, Upper Leeson Street, though from prolonged summer drought and daily supply of twelve and a half million gallons the water had fallen below the sill of the overflow weir, for which reason the borough surveyor and waterworks engineer mr spencey Harty c e on the instructions of the waterworks committee had prohibited the use of municipal water for purposes other than those of consumption envisaging the possibility of recourse being had to the impotable water of the grand and royal canals as in 1893 particularly as the south dublin guardians notwithstanding their ration of fifteen gallons per day per pauper supplied through a six inch meter had been convicted of a wastage of twenty thousand gallons per night by a reading of their meter on the affirmation of the law-agent of the corporation, Mr. Ignatius Rice, solicitor, thereby acting to the detriment of another section of the public, self-supporting taxpayers' solvent sound. What in water did Bloom, water-lover, drawer of water, water water-carrier, return to the range admire? Its universality, its democratic equality and constancy to its nature in seeking its own level, its vastness in the ocean of Mercator's projection, its unplumbed profundity in the sundam trench of the Pacific exceeding 8,000 fathoms, the restlessness of its waves and surface particles visiting in turn all points of its seaboard, the independence of its units, the variability of states of sea, its hydrostatic quiescence in calm, its hydrokinetic turgidity in neap and spring tides, its subsidence after devastation, its sterility in the circumpolar ice caps, arctic and antarctic, its climatic and commercial significance, its preponderance of three to one over the dry land of the globe, its indisputable hegemony extending in square leagues, over all the region below the subequatorial tropic of capricorn the multi-secular stability of its primeval basin its lutefulvis bed its capacity to dissolve and hold in solution all soluble substances including millions of tons of the most precious metals its slow erosions of peninsulas and islands its persistent formation of homothetic islands Peninsulas and downward tending promontories, its alluvial deposits, its weight and volume and density, its imperturbability in lagoons and highland tarns, its gradation of colors in the torrid and temperate and frigid zones, its vehicular ramifications in continental lake contained streams and confluent ocean flowing rivers with their tributaries and transoceanic currents, Gulf stream north and south equatorial courses its violence in seaquakes water spouts artesian wells eruptions torrents eddies freshets spates ground swells watersheds water partings geysers cataracts whirlpools maelstroms inundations deluges cloudbursts its vast circumterrestrial a horizontal curve its secrecy in springs and latent humidity revealed by rabdomantic or hygrometric instruments and exemplified by the well by the hole in the wall at ashtown gate saturation of air distillation of dew the simplicity of its consumption two constituent parts of hydrogen with one constituent part of oxygen its healing virtues its buoyancy in the waters of the Dead Sea, its persevering penetrativeness in runnels, gullies, inadequate dams, leaks on shipboard, its properties for cleansing, quenching thirst and fire, nourishing vegetation, its infallibility as paradigm and paragon, its metamorphoses as vapor, mist, cloud, rain, sleet, snow, hail, its strength in rigid hydrants, its variety of forms in lofts and bays and gulfs and bights and guts and lagoons and atolls and archipelagos and sounds and fjords and minches and tidal estuaries and arms of the sea, its solidity in glaciers, icebergs, ice flows, its docility in working hydraulic mill wheels, turbines, dynamos, electric power stations, bleach works, tanneries, scotch mills, its utility in canals, rivers, if navigable, floating and graving docks, its potentiality derivable from harnessed tides or watercourses falling from level to level, its submarine fauna and flora, An acoustic photophobe, numerically, if not literally, the inhabitants of the globe, its ubiquity as constituting 90% of the human body, the noxiousness of its effluvia in lacustrine marshes, pestilential fens, faded flower water, stagnant pools in the waning moon. Having set the half-filled kettle on the now-burning coals, why did he return to the still-flowing tap? To wash his soiled hands with a partially consumed tablet of Barrington's lemon-flavoured soap, to which paper still adhered, Bought thirteen hours previously for fourpence and still unpaid for. In fresh, could never-changing, ever-changing water. And dry them, face and hands, in a long, red-bordered Holland cloth, passed over a wooden revolving roller. What reason did Stephen give for declining Bloom's offer? That he was hydrophobe, hating partial contact, by immersion or total submersion in cold water his last bath having taken place in the month of october of the preceding year disliking the aqueous substances of glass and crystal distrusting aquacities of thought and language what impeded bloom from giving stephen counsels of hygiene and prophylactic to which should be added suggestions concerning a preliminary wetting of the head and contraction of the muscles with rapid splashing of the face and neck, and thoracic, an epigastric region, in case of sea or river bathing, the parts of the human anatomy most sensitive to cold, being the nape, stomach, and thenar, or sole of foot, the incompatibility of aquacity with the erratic originality of genius. What additional didactic counsels did he similarly repress? Dietary, concerning the respective percentage of protein and caloric energy in bacon saltling and butter the absence of the former in the last named and the abundance of the latter in the first named which seemed to the host to be the predominant qualities of his guest confidence in himself an equal and opposite power of abandonment and recuperation what concomitant phenomenon took place in the vessel of liquid by the agency of fire the phenomenon of ebullition fanned by a constant updraught of ventilation between the kitchen and the chimney flue ignition was communicated from the fagots of pre-combustible fuel to polyhedral masses of bituminous coal containing in compressed mineral form the foliated fossilized decidua of primeval forests, which had in turn derived their vegetative existence from the sun, primal source of heat, radiant, transmitted through omnipresent luminiferous diatherminous ether. Heat, convected, a mode of motion developed by such combustion, was constantly and increasingly conveyed from the source of calorification to the liquid contained in the vessel being radiated through the uneven unpolished dark surface of the metal iron in part reflected in part absorbed in part transmitted gradually raising the temperature of the water from normal to boiling point a rise in temperature expressible as the result of an expenditure of seventy-two thermal units needed to raise one pound of water from fifty degrees to two hundred twelve degrees fahrenheit what announced the accomplishment of this rise in temperature a double falsiform ejection of water vapor from under the kettle lid at both sides simultaneously for what personal purpose could bloom have applied the water so boiled to shave himself what advantages attended shaving by night a softer beard a softer brush if intentionally allowed to remain from shave to shave in its agglutinated lather a softer skin if unexpectedly encountering female acquaintances in remote places at incustomary hours. Quiet reflections upon the course of the day. A cleaner sensation when awaking after a fresher sleep. Since matutinal noises. Premonitions and perturbations. A clattered milk can. A postman's double knock. A paper read. Reread. While lathering. Relathering. The same spot. A shock. A shoot with thought of aught he sought from fraught with not might cause a faster rate of shaving and a nick on which incision plaster with precision cut and humected and applied adhered which was to be done why did absence of light disturb him less than presence of noise because the surety of the sense of touch in his firm full masculine feminine passive active hand what quality did it his hand possess but with what counteracting influence? The operative surgical quality, but that he was reluctant to shed human blood, even when the end justified the means, preferring, in their natural order, heliotherapy, psychophysicotherapeutics, osteopathic surgery. What lay under exposure on the lower, middle, and upper shelves of the kitchen dresser opened by Bloom? On the lower shelf, five vertical breakfast plates six horizontal breakfast saucers on which rested inverted breakfast cups a mustache cup uninverted and saucer of crown derby four white gold-rimmed egg cups an open chamois purse displaying coins mostly copper and a file of aromatic violet comfits on the middle shelf a chipped egg cup containing pepper a drum of table salt four conglomerated black olives in oleaginous paper, an empty pot of plum-tree's potted meat, an oval wicker basket bedded with fibre and containing one jersey pear, a half-empty bottle of William Gilby & Co.'s white invalid port, half disrobed of its swathe of coral-pink tissue, a packet of Epps-soluble cocoa, five ounces of Ann Lynch's choice tea at two pound in a crinkled lead paper bag a cylindrical canister containing the best crystallized lump sugar two onions one the larger spanish entire the other smaller irish bisected with augmented surface and more redolent a jar of irish mottled dairies cream a jug of brown crockery containing a naggin and a quarter of soured adulterated milk "'converted by heat into water, "'acidulous serum, "'and semi-solidified curds, "'which added to the quantity "'subtracted for Mr. Bloom's "'and Mrs. Fleming's breakfasts, "'made one imperial pint. "'The total quantity originally delivered two cloves, a halfpenny, "'and the small dish containing "'a slice of fresh rib-steak. "'On the upper shelf a battery of jam-jars, "'empty, of various sizes and proveniences. What attracted his attention lying on the apron of the dresser? Four polygonal fragments of two lacerated scarlet betting tickets, numbered eight eight seven, eight eight six. What reminiscences temporarily corrugated his brow? Reminiscences of coincidences, truth stranger than fiction, pre-indicative of the result of the gold cup, flat, handicap, the official and definitive result of which he had read in the evening telegraph, late pink edition, in the cabman's shelter at Butt Bridge. Where had previous intimations of the result, affected or projected, been received by him? In Bernard Kiernan's licensed premises, eight, nine, and ten, Little Britain Street. In David Bearn's licensed premises, 14 Duke Street, in O'Connell Street Lower, outside Graham Lemons, when a dark man had placed in his hand a throwaway, subsequently thrown away, advertising Elijah, restorer of the church in Zion, in Lincoln Place outside the premises of F. W. Sweeney Co. Ltd., dispensing chemists, when when Frederick M. Bantam Lyons had rapidly and successively requested perused and restituted the copy of the current issue of the Freeman's Journal and National Press, which he had been about to throw away, subsequently thrown away, he had proceeded towards the oriental edifice of the Turkish and warm baths, 11 Leinster Street, with the light of inspiration shining in his countenance and bearing in his arms the secret of the race graven in the language of prediction." what qualifying considerations allayed his perturbations the difficulties of interpretation since the significance of any event followed its occurrence as variably as the acoustic report followed the electrical discharge and of counter-estimating against an actual loss by failure to interpret the total sum of possible losses proceeding originally from a successful interpretation his mood he had not risked, he did not expect, he had not been disappointed. He was satisfied. What satisfied him? To have sustained no positive loss, to have brought a positive gain to others, light to the genteels. How did Bloom prepare a collation for a genteel? He poured into two teacups two level spoonfuls, four in all, of Epps-soluble cocoa, and proceeded according to the directions for use printed on the label to each adding after sufficient time for infusion the prescribed ingredients for diffusion in the manner and in the quantity prescribed what supererogatory marks of special hospitality did the host show his guests relinquishing his symposiacal right to the moustache cup of imitation crown derby presented to him by his only daughter millicent milly he substituted a cup identical with that of his guest and served extraordinarily to his guest and in reduced measure to himself the viscous cream ordinarily reserved for the breakfast of his wife marian molly was the guest conscious of and did he acknowledge these marks of hospitality his attention was directed to them by his host jocosely, and he accepted them seriously as they drank in silence, epps, mass product, the creature cocoa. Were there marks of hospitality, which he contemplated but suppressed, reserving them for another and for himself on future occasions to complete the act begun? The reparation of a fissure of the length of one and a half inches in the right side of his guest's jacket, a gift to his guest of one of the four ladies' handkerchiefs, if, and when ascertained, to be in a presentable condition. Who drank more quickly? Bloom, having the advantage of ten seconds at the initiation, and taking, from the concave surface, of a spoon along the handle of which a steady flow of heat was conducted, three sips to his opponents one, six to two, nine to three. What cerebration accompanied his frequentative act? concluding by inspection but erroneously that his silent companion was engaged in mental composition he reflected on the pleasures derived from literature and instruction rather than of amusement as he himself had applied to the works of william shakespeare more than once for the solution of difficult problems in imaginary or real life had he found their solution in spite of careful and repeated reading of certain classical passages aided by a glossary, he had derived imperfect conviction from the text, the answers not bearing in all points. What lines concluded his first piece of original verse, written by him, potential poet, at the age of eleven, in 1877, on the occasion of the offering of three prizes of ten, five, and two, six, respectively, for competition by the Shamrock, a weekly newspaper? An ambition to squint at my verses in print makes me hope that for these you'll find room. If you so condescend, then please place at the end the name of yours truly, L. Bloom. Do he find four separating forces between his temporary guest and him? Name, age, race, creed. What anagrams had he made on his name in youth? Leopold Bloom L pod Baumoul mole Dope lube ballo pidum old olibo mp what acrostic upon the abbreviation of his first name had he kinetic poet sent to miss marion molly tweedy on the fourteenth february 1888 poets oft have sung in rhyme of music sweet their praise divine let them hymn at nine times nine dearer far than song or wine you are mine the world is mine what had prevented him from completing a topical song music by r g johnston on the events of the past or fixtures for the actual years entitled if brian borrow could but come back and see old dublin now commissioned by michael gunn lassie of the gaiety theatre forty six forty seven forty eight forty nine south king street and to be introduced into the sixth scene the valley of diamonds of the second edition thirty january eighteen ninety three of the grand annual christmas pantomime sinbad the sailor produced by r shelton twenty six december eighteen ninety two written by greenleaf whittier scenery by george a jackson and cecil hicks costumes by mrs and miss wheatland under the personal supervision of mrs michael gunn ballets by Jessie noir harlequinade by thomas otto and sung by nelly bouverist principal girl firstly oscillation between events of imperial and of local interest the anticipated diamond jubilee of queen victoria born 1820 exceeded 1837 and the posticipated opening of the new municipal fish market secondly apprehension of opposition from extreme circles on the questions of the respective visits of their royal highnesses the duke and duchess of york real of his majesty king brian boru imaginary thirdly a conflict between professional etiquette and professional emulation concerning the recent erections of the grand lyric hall on berg quay and the theatre royal in hawkins street fourthly distraction resultant from compassion for nelly bouverist's non-intellectual non-political non-topical expression of countenance and concupiscence caused by nelly bouverist's revelations of white articles, of non-intellectual, non-political, non-topical underclothing, while she, Nellie Bouverist, was in the articles. Fifthly, the difficulties of the selection of appropriate music and humorous allusions from everybody's book of jokes, one thousand pages, and a laugh in every one. Sixthly, the rhymes, homophonous and cacophonous, associated with the names of the new Lord Mayor, Daniel Tallon the new High Sheriff, Thomas Pyle, and the new Solicitor General, Dunbar Plunkett Barton. What relation existed between their ages? Sixteen years before, in 1888, when Bloom was of Stephen's present age, Stephen was six. Sixteen years after, in 1920, when Stephen would be of Bloom's present age, Bloom would be fifty-four. In 1936, when Bloom would be seventy and Stephen fifty-four, their ages initially in the ratio of 16 to 0 would be as 17.5 to 13.5, the proportion increasing and the disparity diminishing according as arbitrary future years were added. For, if the proportion existing in 1883 had continued immutable, conceiving that to be possible, till then 1904, when Stephen was 22, Bloom would be 374, and in 1920, when Stephen would be 38, as Bloom then was, Bloom would be 646. Well, in 1952, when Stephen would have attained the maximum post-Diluvian age of 70, Bloom, being 1,190 years alive, having been born in the year 714, would have surpassed by 221 years the maximum antediluvian age, that of Methuselah, 969 years, while if Stephen would continue to live until he would attain that age in the year 3072 AD, Bloom would have obliged to have been alive 83,300 years, having been obliged to have been born in the year 81396 BC. What events might nullify these calculations the cessation of existence of both or either, the inauguration of a new era or calendar, the annihilation of the world and consequent extermination of the human species, inevitable but unpredictable. How many previous encounters proved their pre-existing acquaintance? Two. The first in the Lilac Garden of Matthew Dillon's house, Medina Villa, Kimmage Road, round town in 1887 in the company of stephen's mother stephen being then of the age of five and reluctant to give his hand in salutation the second in the coffee room of breslin's hotel on a rainy sunday in the january of 1892 in the company of stephen's father and stephen's granduncle stephen being then five years older did bloom accept the invitation to dinner given then by the son and afterwards seconded by the father very gratefully with grateful appreciation with sincere appreciative gratitude in appreciatively grateful sincerity of regret he declined did their conversation on the subject of these reminiscences reveal a third connecting link between them mrs riordan dante a widow of independent means had resided in the house of stephen's parents from one september eighteen eighty eight to twenty nine december eighteen ninety one and had also resided during the years 1892, 1893, and 1894 in the City Arms Hotel owned by Elizabeth O. Dowd of 54 Prussia Street, where, during parts of the years 1893 and 1894, she had been a constant informant of Bloom who resided also in the same hotel, being at that time a clerk in the employment of Joseph Cuff of 5 Smithfield for the superintendence of sales in the adjacent dublin cattle market on the north circular road had he performed any special corporal work of mercy for her he had sometimes propelled her on warm summer evenings an infirm widow of independent if limited means in her convalescent bath-chair with slow revolutions of its wheels as far as the corner of the north circular road opposite mr gavin's low place of business where she had remained for a certain time scathing through his one-lensed binocular field-glasses unrecognizable citizens on tram-cars roadster bicycles equipped with inflated pneumatic tires hackney carriages tandems private and hired landaus, dog-carts pony-traps and brakes passing from the city to the phoenix park and vice versa why could he then support, at his vigil with the greater equanimity? Because in middle youth he had often sat observing, through a rondelle of bossed glass, of a multicoloured pane, the spectacle offered with continual changes of the thoroughfare without, pedestrians, quadrupeds, velocipeds, vehicles. Passing slowly, quickly, evenly, round and round, and round, the rim of a round and round precipitous globe what distinct different memories had each of her now eight years deceased the older her basique cards and counters her sky terrier her suppositious wealth her lapses of responsiveness and incipient cateral deafness the younger her lamp of colza oil before the statue of the immaculate conception her green and maroon brushes for charles stuart parnell and for michael davitt her tissue papers were there no means still remaining to him to achieve the rejuvenation which these reminiscences divulged to a younger companion rendered the more desirable the indoor exercises formerly intermittently practised subsequently abandoned prescribed in Eugen sandow's physical strength and how to obtain it which designed particularly for commercial men engaged in sedentary occupations were to be made with mental concentration in front of a mirror so as to bring into play the various families of muscles and produce successively a pleasant rigidity a more pleasant relaxation and the more pleasant repristination of juvenile agility And any special agility been his in earlier youth though ring weight lifting had been beyond his strength and the full circle gyration beyond his courage yet as a high school scholar he had excelled in his stable and protracted execution of the half lever movement on the parallel bars in consequence of his abnormally developed abdominal muscles did either openly allude to their racial difference neither What, reduced to their simplest reciprocal form, were Bloom's thoughts about Stephen's thoughts about Bloom, and about Stephen's thoughts, and Bloom's thoughts about Stephen? He thought that he thought that he was a Jew, whereas he knew that he knew that he knew that he was not. What, the enclosures of reticence removed, were their respective parentages? Bloom only born male transubstantial heir of rudolph Virag, subsequently rudolph bloom of st Diana, vienna budapest milan london and dublin and of ellen higgins second daughter of julius higgins born caroly and fanny higgins born Hagarty. stephen eldest surviving male consubstantial heir of simon dedalus of cork and dublin and of mary daughter of richard and christina goulding born greer had bloom and stephen been baptized and where and by whom cleric or layman bloom three times by the rev mr gilmer johnson m a alone in the protestant church of st nicholas without Coombe, by james o'connor philip gilligan and james fitzpatrick together under a pump in the village of swords and by the rev charles malone c. c in the church of the three patrons rathgar stephen once by the rev charles malone c. c alone in the church of the three patrons rathgar did they find their educational career similar substituting stephen for bloom stum would have passed successively through a dame's school and the high school substituting bloom for stephen bluefin would have passed successfully through the preparatory junior middle and senior grades of the intermediate and through the matriculation first arts second arts and arts degree courses of the royal university why did bloom refrain from stating that he had frequented the university of life because of his fluctuating incertitude as to whether this observation had or had not been already made by him to stephen or by stephen to him what two temperaments did they individually represent the scientific the artistic what proofs did bloom adduce to prove that his tendency was towards applied rather than towards pure science certain possible inventions of which he had cogitated when reclining in a state of supine repletion to aid digestion stimulated by his appreciation of the importance of inventions now common but once revolutionary for example the aeronautic parachute reflecting telescope the spiral corkscrew the safety pin the mineral water siphon the canal lock with winch and sluice the suction pump were these inventions principally intended for an improved scheme of kindergarten yes rendering obsolete pop-guns, elastic air bladders, games of hazard, catapults. They comprised astronomical kaleidoscopes, exhibiting the twelve constellations of the Zodiac from Ares to Pisces, miniature mechanical orreries, arithmetical gelatine lozenges, geometrical to correspond with zoological biscuits, globe map playing balls, historically costumed dolls end of section 52 recording by john thomas coos www.validateyourlife.com